we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at. I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. Over here uh, in South Florida, you know, I'm still in spring, which means it's just hot, not as hot. But we're, we're already starting to feel that summer heat coming in. But anyway, today I have a very special guest. This is a lady by the name of Deborah Halber. Now, she started out as a daily newspaper reporter. And then she went on and she became a freelance journalist since 2004. But she has written what I think is a fascinating nonfiction book titled The Skeleton Crew, How Amateur Sleuths Are Solving America's Coldest Cases. Uh, this book was issued back in 2014. Now, Deborah, she's a member of the American Society of Journalists and Authors, Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, the National Association of Science Writers, and Pen America. She lives near Boston in a house with a lot of former pets buried out back. I, I get that. Believe me, I get that. Now, um, I'm going to bring Deborah on, but let me give you a little bit of background as to what this book is about and why I think personally it's fascinating uh, is this is basically a book that talks about the efforts that are being made into matching missing people with unidentified remains and presently in America upward of 40,000 
people are dead and unaccounted for. Surprising what that number is, but yes, that's what it is. Now, these could be uh, murder victims, suicides, accident victims, and somewhere along the line, they got separated from their names, from their identity, and they are being adopted by the bizarre online world of amateur sleuths. So let me bring on Deborah, and we'll take it from there, and she can tell us about uh, how she decided to go ahead and start working on this book, which we were discussing even before we started taping that probably before the advent of the internet and for people uh, basically across the world, if you think about it, to to be able to look into databases and uh, match notes, this wouldn't have been possible. But anyway, how are you doing today, Deborah? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. On the contrary, it is my pleasure. Um, and like I, I gave that short intro, Deborah, about, you know, you had, obviously you had done, you know, reporting journalism prior to this. So what got you started or um, got you to decide to write this book? Had you done some reporting on this beforehand? Well, just because of my background in reporting, um, I kind of recognized that this was a really unknown, undiscussed problem. And it uh, I started to realize that it actually had national implications. But how I really got into it was that in May 2010, I saw a photo in the Boston Globe of a woman who looked, you know, like somebody I might have known, you know, in my town or just seen around. And then I realized this was not a photograph, but it was a reconstruction of what this murder victim uh, would have looked like. So it really just drew me in because I just couldn't imagine how somebody, this was a murder victim from 1974, and I just couldn't imagine how somebody could, you know, just not be identified for so long. Yes. It's incredible. Yeah. Sometimes these artists, these sketch artists, uh, I've seen some of those renditions that they do, and they're, some of them are really very close to what the person looked like, depending on, you know, when the person was found i know sometimes they're yeah they're recently you know this you know discovered and they could do a pretty but sometimes i know they work with a lot less than just a person that recently deceased so what happened after that that you was did this pique your well, interest yeah so i um this uh woman this story that was in the paper it was one of those stories that's kind of run uh every year every five years mm-hmm. every ten years because it's it's a kind of a local legend um this woman was known as um uh the lady of the dunes because she had been found uh in provincetown um along a kind of a a, a deserted beach um and which is has these really spectacular gorgeous dunes um but it has these little secret places amid the dunes little um uh vegetation and trees and little places in the beach where you might not necessarily um be walking even if you're walking along the beach Mm -hmm. so she had been found in one of these little uh secret areas along this beach even though it was a public beach in provincetown she had apparently been there for maybe as long as two weeks. Okay. And so she was found in this really 
horrific um, position. Her um, her hands had been cut off at the wrist. Wow. Um, her skull had been bashed in with some sort of uh, instrument that they wondered if uh, could have been a shovel. Mm-hmm. Um, she was completely nude, but she was laying out on a beach blanket with a pair of Wrangler jeans just folded underneath her head as if she were sunbathing. Wow. And um, her toenails were, you know, she just was had like pink painted toenails. You know, it was just, it was just mind boggling to me. Um, again, that she had, you know, been there so long. Actually, it was a girl walking her dog that kind of stumbled across the body. And, um, you know, the police, everybody swarmed in, but nobody had seen anything. And and this is just such a cute little sleepy town with like an artist colony. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, they just said that this murder was just so horrific, so brutal. You know, it would be brutal any time in any place, but just in this sleepy seaside town, this touristy, adorable place with these cute little shops. It mm-hmm. it was just um it was just particularly horrific to think about this happening there. Right. And obviously I imagine she wasn't a person that was missing from that local area. So they had right. no idea. So no one seemed to know anything about her. Um and she um, she was eventually um, buried, actually, just um, in a, under in the graveyard of a local church. Okay. She's uh, she's still there. Her gravestone is still there. It's St. Peter's Church in Provincetown. You know, quintessential New England church with the white steeple and the green lawn. Yeah, and I imagine what happened. I I I, I take it that. Probably the police, um, you know, because I know that usually they start like right around the area where the person was found and then they kind of widen their search. And I imagine what nobody came forward and said, I know who that is. Uh, and, and I know what you're exactly. mentioning about her being, let's say, having manicured toenails, which kind of makes you think, OK, this person at least at some point was well taken care of because you think of people who do pedicures as um you know exactly and she also had had uh extensive dental work and if somebody had had this dental work done today it would have cost tens of thousands of dollars okay so this is not a marginal person yes exactly exactly which is so and and then i think the next thing is that you're thinking okay this person looks like there's somebody that belongs to a, a group of people a family and like nobody's, uh, you know, put in a missing persons report for us to match up to. So I think sometimes that's, I think, what baffles police. Um, and from what you're saying, as of today, what they've never been able to identify who she is. That's true. She is still unidentified. Um, she is just known as Lady of the Dunes. And um, there have been multiple exhumations and many theories about who she could be has never been identified and do the police think that they removed her hands in order to avoid having her identified by fingerprints that was one theory yes it it seemed almost like a a mob like um 
mode of of murder, um, you know, in an effort to um, keep the the person unidentified. Um, so yes, uh, her hands were never found. And even though, as I mentioned, she'd had extensive dental work, they uh, uh, shipped her the x-rays around to dentists all over the East Coast, and no one, you know, ever stepped forward to said to say that they recognized that kind of work that as, kind of work. you know, either theirs or, or somebody they might know. Wow, very interesting. And then, um, you said this was, and, and and I know what you're talking about because I have some in my area that, like you said, even every year, or every few years, they'll put a story about this person that was found the remains and they've never been identified and they're always hoping that it's going to spark new interest and somebody's going to come forward and say something something along those exactly. lines and uh but what happened you you started going into this field as far as because i know that uh what you talk about in your book is that there's a lot of people that decide they're going to take on this task uh despite having very few clues. Exactly. So, yeah, so I just started Googling Lady of the Dunes, Mm -hmm. and then I realized pretty quickly that there were these whole websites of people like her. She just wasn't um, a unique case at all. There were whole websites of people um, who had never been identified, and they were, it was, I, I, it struck me as like a Facebook for the dead because there were photos, some were digital reconstructions, some were artist portraits, some were just a pencil sketch, some were like dummies, you know, made out of clay with like a wig stuck on their heads. Mm-hmm. But what they were all doing was the same thing. They were trying to uh, indicate um, that these people were out there, they didn't have their names. They had been separated from their names and death, right. and they were hoping that someone out there somewhere could help identify them. And you know what? A lot of people don't realize that, let's say, whenever they find one of these remains, whether it's a fresh dead person, these detectives have only X amount of time on the case before they have to put it, I guess, into what they call their cold case, you know, files, yes, because exactly. they're, they're constantly getting other cases that they have to look at. So I imagine the work that they're doing is kind of where the regular detective says, I just, I've exhausted any leads I have and I have no place else to go with this. So I'm going to have to put this in the cold case file or whatever it is and hope that someday somebody comes forward with it. But at least they spend the time that the detective or the police department can no longer spend on that case. And like you said, considering there's thousands and thousands of them, I think a lot of people are surprised when they realize just how many people or remains are out there that are unidentified. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, there are uh, the latest uh, version of a website where anybody could actually go on to um, see exactly how many cases there are and look at their own hometowns to see what cases are ongoing is a website called uh, NamUs, mm-hmm. the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. But back when I was writing this, NamUs was just starting up. It actually maybe wasn't even um, wasn't even live, wasn't really a thing then. Uh, but as you and I were talking about just a minute ago, there was a, a, a website called the Doe Network, as in Jane and John Doe. 
And people had really gone out of their way to try to, with the advent of the Internet, it seemed to be the perfect time to try to put up um, all these people, all these images, and also to put up um, on the Internet information about the missing. So in the hope that um, somebody somewhere would be able to match, you know, some of the missing people with some of these unidentified bodies. And that's what the Doe Network was all about. It was the first site that really uh, did this um, seriously. So that was, uh, that was I think, uh, 1999. And it was, um, you know, it was, it was hard to use computers back then to, for yes. this kind of purpose uh, because it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, this it, was, this was uh, a website. time of dial-up modems. <laughs> it's like. Exactly. Exactly. You had to spend all the time to That's dial up and wait and you yep. kept getting disconnected. Mm -hmm. And then the people who were creating the websites, uh, you know, they they looked pretty, you know, primitive. They do. They weren't slick looking at all. Yep. You practically had to new, know some programming in order to yes. uh, even use them, let alone create them. So it was it was uh, it was very early on when these kinds of things were were uh, getting to be a thing, the uh, unidentified and the missing on the internet. Right, and and the thing is that, like I was saying, I know sometimes if the person has been recently discovered, even though, and I'm going to give an example. I know it depends a lot on the circumstances, circumstances, but let's say here in Florida, South Florida. A body will decompose very, very quickly between the heat and insects. In other words, it doesn't take long before all you got is skeletal remains. So I know sometimes, depending on how soon they find the person, is how good the artist or the details that they have. And it's still surprising because I, I, I've heard of, of victims that were basically just skeletons, like bones and due to artist rendition or I, i've seen also that they do that you know the clay um mm -hmm. basically a reconstruction finally they've been able to identify them but um sometimes they don't have much to work with and it's very tedious i think when you try to trying to match any little clue to maybe a report of a missing person that might might be who this person that was found is right exactly and um one of the, uh, and, and some people don't realize that and that sometimes if the, I want to say the family, if the family or the people that knew that person never, let's say, files a missing persons report, in other words, the police have no way or the authorities or even them have no way of saying, hey, you know what, that person that's been missing and nobody's ever heard from them again, that's who this, these remains belong to. So exactly. And you know, what's really insidious is that even if a family uh, files a missing person report and there used to be all these uh, this misinformation going around. And I think, unfortunately, it still exists in some places, the misinformation that you have to wait 24 hours or 48 hours before you can uh, declare somebody missing. That's not true at all. Right. But there is this feeling there was this. Um, these, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, assumption going around that that was the case. So sometimes, um, we did it again. 
Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. These reports would get delayed. Uh, other times they would get uh, filed, but the information wouldn't really go past uh, a local jurisdiction. Right. So if a person went missing in one town or county and they even crossed a state border and were you know, killed or died or committed suicide in the next state or county, you, they may never have put two and two together. There were, there were so right. many cases like that. It was just shocking to me that that was the case. One woman went unidentified. Uh, actually, it was a Florida case. She went unidentified for uh, more than 20 years, and she was literally um, found in the next county. Right, and that's incredible, and I'm glad you bring that up because the, the internet, besides helping these websites, it kind of helps some police departments as well. Because I know I think most police departments now they have like a they have a page to you know unsolved cases. But like you said, all you had to do was maybe go one county over, and that's it. That case in a way dropped off the face of the earth because each police department was just worked on their stuff. That's it. Right. And unless it was, for lack of a better word, a killing spree where all of a sudden you had a bunch of, uh, let's say, that type of victim where maybe then police would start looking around and saying, hey, maybe we have a a serial killer, for example. But otherwise, if they were few and far between, you're absolutely right. If they could just be as close as a county over and there was no connection made between the police departments. Yes, Exactly. I can uh, relay really quickly that uh, that Florida case I was talking about, if you uh, are interested. Yes. Uh, so it was in uh, 1982 mm-hmm. um, that uh, fishermen in the water off the West Coast, um, off of um, 20 miles west of Edgemont Key. I'm okay. pretty sure that's the West Coast, Manatee County, I guess. Okay. So, um, so they found uh, a young woman. Uh, she'd only been dead about a week. She was wrapped in a um, a green bedspread and an, and like a homemade afghan. And uh, she had been obviously her body had been obviously weighted down with a, a cement block with a rope okay. around her waist. So, um, yes, yeah, so she was recovered from the Gulf of Mexico. So, but she had no ID on her. They didn't know who she was. And. Um, so it was literally her son, uh, decades later, who um, never knew how his mother disappeared or why she left. He always assumed that she had left him when he was eight, and it was really hurtful. Um, but it turned out that he was uh, looking through some of these uh, websites, like the Doe Network, okay. and he found, um, he saw... Um, you know, a picture of this afghan, this homemade afghan that wow. the body had been wrapped in. And she, and he literally recognized it as something his grandmother uh, would have made, uh, something very similar. And that is how one thing led to another, and he actually was able to help identify 
um, his own mother, who's who was 29 when her, you know, she was apparently killed by her, uh, her I think her husband at the time. She worked as a cashier at Winn Dixie, and um, and she just disappeared one day. So wow. it's just unbelievable, though, that you know uh, that this this clue, you know, from clue to clue, that over the years that she was finally identified. Exactly. That's incredible. That story about that, the Afghan thing. I bet he never, yeah. that killer never th- saw that coming. <laughs> Let me ask you. By the exactly. way, was was the alleged killer still alive, or had he passed away? Because I know sometimes um, it's unfortunate, I, I'm but just they have. Looking down. Uh, so they had uh, they had questioned uh, the uh, was the husband or the boyfriend mm-hmm. in 1982, but they couldn't make the charge stick. But after, um, after she was identified, uh, so it was uh, in April 2013, actually, so fairly recently, 31 years after this woman, Amy Rosehurst, died, her husband was convicted of her murder. Great. First degree <laughs> murder. Good. Better late than never. I know. Incredible. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, when you think of things like that, um, and, and one of the reasons why I bring that up is, you know, here we, you know, I'm on, I'm on the East coast of Florida, but there's a road called, well, there's us 41 and alligator alley. And both of those roads, which basically cut, a, they go from East to at West to the other coast of Florida, you know, they cut basically through the Everglades. They, they had some points kind of gotten a little bit better become a dumping ground for bodies and that's Mm. if they're found and a lot of them have turned out to be unidentified for many many years and so as far as i know there's still a lot of them that they still don't know who the person was at all at all yes yeah they're very um you know there are these areas in the country um there's also one in texas um that has been become basically a dumping ground for um for um you know murder victims it's Mm -hmm. it's terribly Terribly disturbing that these areas are uh, you know, become these these um, these dumping grounds, and and that, you know when you, when investigators start looking into them, they just find more and more bodies. Well, it's become like a, <clears throat> I guess now it's not so much, but I think you know that thing: no victim, no crime. I imagine when these people, right. let's say that lady, she disappeared. Maybe her husband was told, "Oh, she ran away. She didn't want to be with me anymore. She took off with a boyfriend." Nobody, exactly. there was nobody to produce to say that he was lying. And right. The police can only, you know, do so much with it or that or when you have what they call that stranger on stranger <clears throat> murder, where mm-hmm. basically there is no connection between the victim and the person that killed them. So where, you know, where can the, yeah. they can't go anywhere. They, they question those around them, but if they have alibis. That's a lot of times I think where a lot of police departments get stumped on uh, yes. on identifying, on matching. Uh, and I've even heard of some cases where they have apprehended a criminal. Somebody has committed various murders and they themselves don't know how to identify their victims. In other words, in some cases we're talking here multiple murders, of course, where they know they killed this person or they'll lead the the police department to where they buried a body, but they themselves don't know who it is that they killed. 
So right. they kind of like they have the perpetrator, but as far as who that person was, again, they're, they're, they don't have any idea. Uh, and, um, and you know what? I'm, I'm glad as far as considering everything that well, I'm sure he's a man by now. Uh, he was able to help identify and find out what happened to his mother. Um, exactly. And, you know, and that, that, that incredible hurt that I don't think a kid ever gets over oh, thinking course. that their mother just left with no reason. Um, and, and then to know that she never would have left, you know, right. she never would have left him. Exactly. It, and it, I think that that's it really something that, makes a big difference. and especially if, if this happens when you're a child and <clears throat> authorities come in, and of course, they're talking to all the adults and, you know, him and I don't know if he had siblings or not. What is he going to tell police? I know my mother wouldn't have left me because I know it. But the police are yeah. not going to pay attention usually to a child. They're exactly. always just talking to the adults. And a lot of times a child will know my I know my mom would never have left me. But time moves on. But hopefully when you become an adult, he, you get some satisfaction like he did. And also I wanted to mention because um, a lot of times people don't realize that it doesn't even have to be a murder victim per se. Um, sometimes people, I heard of one where she got here in Florida because I, she got killed. She was uh, crossing one of these real um, interstates and mm-hmm. she got hit by a, a car or a truck, something I can't, but she didn't have any identification on her. And they police find themselves in the same scenario. They kind of know what happened to the person, but they have no idea who it is. So it doesn't necessarily also have to be a murder. It could just be somebody getting killed some way and no way of tracing who they are. And one uh, one thing I found when I was writing uh, my book and I went around the country talking to um, web sleuths and families of the missing, it's just, such a just an open wound that never heals when you have somebody who's missing from your family mm-hmm. you just can never lay the whole thing to rest you just hope upon you know just hope as long as you possibly can manage to hope that they are alive no matter how much you realize that it's been too much time and the person is likely dead until right. somebody actually makes the identification you can't really believe it. So one thing people said to me over and over was that when a web sleuth did manage to contribute to an ID, that the family was just so grateful that they could actually finally put the person to rest and, and honor them in the way they, they needed to be honored, you know, for their life. I think, yeah, I, I imagine that, like you said, that after X amount of time passes, the family kind of comes to the undesirable conclusion that more than likely this person has passed away. But I think being able to actually know and bring that person and being able to bury them or know, you know, he or she is here and they're with us and I know what happened to them. And that's because otherwise I think the family always has that question mark that a not knowing is after a while, it's got to be very, very difficult. Right. Exactly. And so it's just some one of just some one aspect of this that I think people don't um, really think about, you know, they could um, imagine that there are all these unidentified bodies around the country and they're in morgues and they're in uh, par- parpers graves. But for every one of those 
bodies. There's there are so many people who want to know what happened to them. Yes. Yes. And I want to say, I mean, I know that sometimes, like in the case that you just described, where basically it was a woman that was living her life and she had, she was murdered. But unfortunately, sometimes some people, you know, they have a lifestyle, they have family that love them, but they have a lifestyle which puts them at risk. And sometimes the family, I think they, they miss the point where something happened to them. In other words, they kind of come and go in their family's lives, but they're always around. And then one day they just stop coming back. And some, and I think the family just does not know for sure is, did something really happen to that person? Or they, they just decide that they're off somewhere living their life and just dropped off connections. And that makes it more difficult, I think, especially when this person, sometimes maybe their family's in one part of the country, but something ends up happening to them a little bit further off, maybe another state or even across the country altogether. So, exactly. And uh, there was another. Um, if um, if you'd like to hear about it, there was actually another yes. Florida case um, that was a very unlikely uh, solution, but that didn't end up getting uh, resolved. Uh, there was a family living in Miami Lakes in 1980. Um, and, uh, the family had adopted, um, a girl who I think she was maybe 14 or 15 at the time of, uh, when they'd adopted her, not a, not a formal adoption, but they'd, uh, taken her in and, um, and she was living with them in a really nice, uh, community. Um, Miami Lakes was pretty beautiful, uh, then. And, uh, I think Don Shula's first steakhouse was was out there in that community. And uh, so the, the, the girl's name was Jean Marie Stewart, and she um, was, uh, she had come back from a party one night, um, and uh, a friend of the family, I think, um, gave her a ride home. He stopped to uh, pick up some cigarettes, and when he went back out to the car, uh, Jean Marie was gone. She was just gone, and her, uh, her purse and her shoes were still in the car, but she was just had just completely disappeared off the face of the earth and um no one uh knew what had happened to her again uh, just an incredible amount of time went by um web sleuths you know worked on this case uh you know the police uh just claimed that she had run away uh but it was just seemed very unlikely she was about to uh travel home she had a plane ticket to travel home you know, she loved uh, her family, the family in Florida. She was going to tell her family back in Pittsburgh how happy she was and how she was thriving and doing well. And so it seemed just so unlikely that she would have just run away. Um, but, uh, again, in, a, in one of these completely unlikely um, solves, it was um, a web sleuth who... Uh, decades later, had seen um, uh, a Florida uh, website that listed uh, some unidentified remains. And um, this woman noticed that the remains, uh, like Jean Marie, had, uh, it was just a skull, but she noticed that there was an overbite. And both the girl and the skull had an overbite. So um, this web sleuth uh, contacted uh, the local um, 
sent faxes to detectives in Dade County mm-hmm. and Hialeah, where the body had been found, where the remains had been found, that she believed that those remains belonged to Jean Marie Stewart. And uh, the detectives, to their credit, uh, jumped on the suggestion, and within uh, two weeks, she had been identified. And wow. that was not until 2007. And did they ever uh, have any leads on who killed her or what happened? Uh, you know, I don't believe so. I don't think, I think to this date, her, uh, the murder is, um, is unsolved. Wow. Because, I mean, I'm very familiar. I grew up in Hialeah, so, I mean, I tell everybody, I grew up in Hialeah when Hialeah only had cows and a racetrack. But, Mm -hmm. um... It's very close to... Well, there was, there was some speculation, I guess, Hialeah, uh, or even in Miami Lakes in the 70s and 80s, uh, there was uh, that serial killer Christopher Wilder, yes, Christopher I believe, Wild, yeah. making the rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, there was some speculation that uh, she might have been one of his victims. Right, yeah, because Hialeah, Miami Lakes, is like a newer... It's newer in the sense of it's it's like... It was established and developed very, like you said, a very nice community west of Hialeah. And it's much newer, but um, it almost seems like, um, yeah, if they dumped her in Hialeah, it was an adjacent. I had never heard of that. And, well, at the very least, I mean, trying to put, at least they found her. Or that they, in other words, that they were able to match who she was to the remains that were there. And, um yeah. Luckily, now we have DNA to match, but back before that was, you know, sometimes, you know, if you've got skeletal remains, there's no fingerprints. And if the person, like you said, that that same victim who had very expensive uh, work on her teeth and still they can't find it, that's no guarantee either. So I, if it's an older case, sometimes, unless they happened, you know, whoever, they took some type of sample of DNA. But there's a lot of times that that wasn't done. That's incredible as far as... Right. Um, and I, I think there are people also don't realize that um, you could certainly try to get a DNA um, sample from remains. But if there's no DNA anywhere on record with the person's name, mm-hmm. I mean, hardly anybody, uh, you know, especially before the advent of all the Ancestry.com and all those uh, genealogy websites, people didn't used to collect their DNA or, or analyze their DNA or make their DNA public. Yep. So there was really nothing to compare it to unless perhaps the person had been a uh, in prison. I think there were some uh, of records of fingerprints of uh, convicted criminals. Uh, but very little DNA kind of flows. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. 
Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Around there, it's not magic like on CSI where if you have DNA, you know, you know who the person is. Well, I think, and I'm not sure, but I believe there's even, it's a very slow process where even uploading DNA, let's say from convicted felons, you know, they're, they they try to put them into the system in case there's a match for another crime. And even that, I believe it's a really slow process. It's not like they push exactly. a button and it's done. Um, exactly. There's always an urgent case that's got to be taken care of. So these things that are on the, it takes sometimes years from what I understand. And one of the things that people uh, that a lot of these people that work on these um, on these websites, they're not getting paid anything, as far as I know, for for that, right, Deborah? That's true. They are not getting paid at all. And in fact, a lot of them have day jobs, and mm-hmm. this is basically like um, a sort of a hobby for them. You might say right. they work all day, they um, and then they come home and they're on their computers all night. And uh, not only are they not getting paid, it's, it's uh, you know, sometimes they don't even get the credit. Even when they uh, propose right. an, I, an ID um, to law enforcement, you know, law enforcement isn't really eager to um, point not. out that an, <laughs> an ordinary citizen not. has, you know, solved the case that they've been, you know, had sitting in their filing cabinet yeah, for exactly. decades. Yeah, so it's terribly unfortunate, but many of these people don't even get just a, a, a simple thank you. You know what? I can see that happening where yeah, I guess it also depends on the police chief or whoever's running the place. But I can imagine some of them don't want it out like, hey, if it wasn't for the fact that these people were looking at it, this case would have remained cold if we were the ones sitting on it. So they don't want to lose face, for lack of a better word. Because, but ultimately, exactly. and I guess part of it, is, like I said, I understand that these police force have X amount of, let's say, detectives and continuously, I guess, depending also on how big it is, you know, how, how dense the population is where they're working, they constantly are getting new cases. And then after a while, they have no choice sometimes but to let that case go and just sit there. And yes. I think that's where yes. these volunteers I don't wanna, take it up. Right. I don't want to give the impression that um, that it's these are always a matter of law enforcement falling down on the job. But but the fact of the matter is law enforcement is not really meant. It's not, maybe meant to, but it's not really designed to help find missing people. This is not mm-hmm. what they do well, because these kinds of cases take a lot of time, a lot of detail. You really have to follow up a lot of pointless leads that don't go anywhere, go on wild goose chases. Yes. And, you know, uh, when, when there's a, you know, the latest murder, they don't have time to do all that. Yeah. So it's, it's a situation. It's, it's completely unfair that these people should have to, um, you know, remain unidentified for so long. On the other hand, who are the people to do it? And that's why, the web sleuths uh, managed to have so much success uh, in relation to law enforcement. And you know what? I think a lot of people also underestimate that there's a lot of people out there that sometimes do know something, but they just don't want to get involved, especially when the investigation is fresh, I guess is what I'm saying. Either, let's say, 
What if this person is their neighbor or lives in their same town? And they're thinking, you know what? If I talk to the police, I'm going to get right in the middle of this and I'm the one that's living here. What am I going to say? Yeah, I saw so-and-so drag something out in their car and put it in the trunk at 3 a.m. Yeah, this is just an example, of course. And there's a lot of people right. out there that they just think, I'm going to be, what if this person is then not arrested? I'm going to be the one stuck here having to deal with a killer. And sometimes things change, especially as years go by. Because I've seen some witnesses that, you know, especially, you know, how they have these programs now with these cold cases where they question against some of the witnesses and then they start talking about things that back when the something happened, mm-hmm. they just kept quiet about it. And yes. yeah. a lot of people think, well, how could you do that? It all depends on a lot of circumstances, I think. I, th- I think some people, I just, at the end of the day, they're scared. They're scared. You know, they're... What if you live right next to this person and you're thinking, if I get involved with this, if I talk to the police, but what if they don't arrest them? I'm still stuck living next to this person who, for all I know, killed their wife, their, you know, whoever. And then he might come after me and everybody's thinking, boy, that's fantastical, but not really, not really. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it can be a very thankless, thankless thing to get involved um, with. Uh, with especially with somebody else's um, criminal case, it it really can open up a can of worms, unfortunately. Right, and 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 I think the other side of this, and I'm and I've heard of this, and sometimes that sometimes, and again, this all depends. It depends on the police department. It depends on the individual detectives that are handling the case. I've heard of some cases where tips have been given to the police, and they've never followed up on them when it was fresh. Okay, for right. some reason. They drop the ball and later on, maybe somebody comes along, whether it's another detective or in this case, you get somebody on one of these sites that looks at certain information that's available and they kind of think, wow, you know, that kind of like, this is, why didn't they follow up on this or why didn't they match this up? That happens. That happens. Human error. Or... I mean, it could be a million things. It could be a million things. Um, and I'm going to give another for, exi- for, for, for instance. Let's say if uh, the victim, or in this case it remains, depends on which way you want to work. Are, you, are we looking at somebody that's missing versus somebody that's remains? If this person was maybe involved in some type of risky lifestyle, as in a prostitute, male or female, it's almost like, Everybody thinks, God, it could have been anybody. You know, who was it that killed them? Or if they identify sometimes maybe the remains that they think, based on certain things that this might have been. And I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you an example. There's a this is a cold case that's never been solved down here in the Florida Keys. And I think I want to say, I think they call her Little Miss Valentine. I'm not sure. I think it was because she was found on Valentine's Day. And she was found in one of the Florida Keys. And um, when was it? I want to I want to say it was in the 80s or 90s. It's it's been a, a lot of years. And basically, what happened was a lot of people saw this young girl. She looked to be like a teenage girl, hitchhiking into Key West. And then a couple of people saw her coming back out. 
and eventually she was found like in a lot of these keys have like uh, campgrounds in them and apparently mm-hmm. they found her in one of these stretches very similar to what you were describing about that other victim being found on a beach where yeah there's a lot of people around there but at the same time they kind of dumped in this area where people normally don't go kind of risky anyway mm-hmm. she eventually she was found she had been strangled i want to say with her um either with her bra or a swimsuit top something like that and they looked at her some of the stuff that she, the, like she has certain boots like so they were thinking that she had maybe come from a northern state and had hitchhiked into florida and had gone down into the florida keys bottom mm-hmm. line till this day they have a really very accurate um picture of her she hasn't been identified despite the mm. fact that a bunch of people saw her hitchhiking in hitchhiking out she was placed mm. uh dumped in uh one of these campgrounds off one of the keys which by the way all these keys are pretty small when it comes to the parks that actually have campgrounds um so far nobody is they, they determined i think that um i think she had had one child but she was still very young <clears throat> she was either late teens or early 20s i know sometimes but and it's incredible nobody has uh and i know they tried to match her up with certain missing people but so far nothing and that still remains oh a i mystery. think i see i see the one you're talking about is it possibly um uh bahia honda Keys yeah Bahia Honda. Bridge? yeah yes i've a... been i've oh, been okay. i've stayed at that campground it's it's um in the campground areas usually it's especially it's almost it's especially in the well what's winter here you get a lot of snowboard but that it's incredible to think that somebody actually killed and dumped a body there because usually you still you see a lot of tourists and residents but at the same time like what you said there's little pockets in there where it's just scrubby and brush where people would just would not go in there so it makes you think it maybe was somebody that was familiar with that area and said i i i yeah yeah, and, um, it's, I, I see. Well, anybody who wants to can definitely find the details of this case you're mentioning online. It, it's, yeah. it's certainly out there. Yeah, I would exactly. Actually, um, I would actually encourage anyone who is interested in, um, in this topic or has uh, had their interest piqued by hearing us talk about it, I think anybody should go check out um, this website called NamUs. It's N-A-M-U-S dot gov. Okay. Uh, it's a Department of Justice uh, website. It's completely free and open to the public. And you can just uh, take a look and uh, check for missing people, check for unidentified. You can click on un- unidentified persons, and then you can just actually uh, put in your own state or your own city or your own town. And I guarantee you, you will be shocked at how many unidentified bodies there are just in your own uh, neighborhood yes so it's it's very interesting and then if you want to you can uh, if there's a certain case that uh, the details kind of jump out at you you can go right to the missing persons database and uh, check again for maybe a surrounding uh, city or state and see if any of them seem to match up to you it's completely doable. Anybody can do this. Because I, on Namus, do they put, do they put stuff like what they did with that case where 
either clothing or, you know, in other words, identifiable stuff as far as like what he did exactly. with that, that kid that, well, I imagine he was a man when he did it, that he matched up the Afghan to something like what his grandma. So they do post stuff like that on there, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So there's a, a, a section called circumstances, I believe, or let me just see, or, you know, any items found with the body. So you could really read up. And as in many cases here, there are actual photographs in addition to a reconstruction, the images we were talking about earlier. Right. In addition to the reconstruction, there are also photographs in many cases of whether there was an article of clothing or a belt buckle or anything um, a piece of jewelry that might have been found with the body. So you could actually see the real right. Uh, images right here on this website. Right. I mean, I imagine that, yes, yeah, stuff like that, that's very, sometimes it's very personal and that all you need is the right set of eyes to see it, to say, wait a minute, right. you know. But, and, and I guess originally what we were saying is that, yeah, sometimes you will get people like that lady that was killed at her son, caught up you know and basically did his own investigation but i'm you know what i was saying is sometimes there's people that because of their lifestyle either they're runaways or you know they're in a risky that sometimes i don't know if it's the police departments they think god this could have been anybody that this for example that girl looks like she didn't even live here okay she had come down here into you know into the keys and more than likely, not absolutely, because there's no way to know that, more than likely, probably she didn't even know who it was that killed her. And this person, all he had to do was get back up on, on overseas highway and head on out of Florida, and that was that. And right. unfortunately, even if they, I guess my point is, even if they never find who killed her, I think that finding out who she is and giving her a name, besides Little Miss Valentine, I think that's, that's that's got to mean something and hopefully even bring her back to her family um, and find out what her story is because exactly that's it's uh, just so terribly sad that yes. these things go on so long and it's heartbreaking to look at these images these digital reconstructions look like a photograph they're so uh, detailed and beautiful and precise and the color is realistic and you're looking at this like I looked at the Lady of the Dunes, and you can't believe that this isn't somebody that you would just see anywhere in your town or walking along a street. And then you, the more you read about it and you realize this person's been dead for 39 years. And, and it's like, what, what a, a, a pity that this is going on for so long. Right. And also contrary, and, and, and I want to call this the CSI effect, contrary to what people see in Hollywood land TV shows, there's a lot of murders or things that happen to people that never get solved, as in immediately. Because we see these TV shows and we kind of think sometimes that things happen to people and they're resolved and everybody finds out about it and the killer is caught and sent to jail or whatever. But unfortunately, there's a lot of these cases that are not, that just... Even sometimes if they identify the person, they don't know who the killer was. Um, I think that that number that, that you mentioned, 40,000, to me, that's that's incredible. That so many people could be yeah. out there unidentified. That and, and this is the thing that sometimes you're hoping, well, if I identify this person, this could lead me to who killed him or her. Because, But without a name, I'm thinking... 
it's like, okay, where do we go with this? Unless there's some exactly. other type of evidence. For example, that, that case that you mentioned, that once they knew who she was, the, the lady with, I'm going to call the lady with the Afghan, you know, okay, well, now that we have a name, wait a minute, who was around her, her husband? You know, that now they, they're looking at, at who are the suspects, who are the people that wanted to do away with her. But without a name, it's like, That's right. they, they have no, no place to go with it. And um, I know that, uh, I believe also that some, um, you know, that eventually these bodies, I, I know, I think sometimes the medical examiners, even now they, they take all this, uh, all the information. And I imagine they probably take a DNA sample, but I believe now they even cremate the remains they don't bury them anymore like they used to once upon a time i guess for the sake of cost and space uh, mm. i believe that once the, they store the body for x amount of time and nobody comes forward to either identify or claim them they just cremate them and they be I think well it really varies it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction some of them, um, you know, did collect uh, DNA samples before cremating. Others will only bury, you know, in, a, in an unidentified grave just because, you know, just for the reasons we were talking about, that they want to hold out the hope that mm -hmm. if somebody comes forward, uh, you know, that the person can still be identified. You know, unfortunately, with cremation, you know, all your clues are literally right, right, going up right, in smoke. Exactly. That there goes. Um, now let me ask something, Deborah. I, I, I mean, we look at this, but to me, part of also what's frightening is that you think, okay, well, yeah, there's victims here, like that girl, like you know, let's say you get struck down, it was an accident, you get killed. But when you look at somebody that obviously they were a victim of a murder, they were killed. You're thinking to yourself, how many killers are out there? <laughs> that true i mean not everybody's going to be a multiple killer you see what i'm saying not everybody you know how many bodies you know could you attribute to one person i mean to me that's where this goes like if you lead it it's like okay somebody had to have killed this person uh maybe he killed a couple or was his only one but still that's and i don't know personally to me that's like when you start thinking about um killing another human being to me that's and 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 in some cases not that it excuses sometimes like I said you will have a murder that's a result of passion revenge hatred in other words there's a personal connection between the victim and the person that killed them but then I'm thinking to myself these people that kill perfect strangers they don't know them. They don't have anything against them. There's no passion, revenge, hatred, you know, all those emotions that people sometimes use as defenses for committing murder. There's not, there's none of that. And they still can go ahead and kill another person and then take them and dump them like they're a piece of trash. Either, you know, on exactly. a roadside or, you know, or someplace. Because, I mean, I've even heard sometimes uh, that, uh, you know, those landscaping crews where they, uh, they, cut the grass on the highways you know on the those swales and things every once in a while they mm -hmm. come across skeletal remains like in other words somebody just chucked this person out of a moving whatever truck car and you know if it's one of these kind of lonely highways that nobody really stops 
nobody discovers them right. sometimes for quite a while. Exactly. Um, yes, and and many um, there were for a time, and maybe still the there were murderers who were um, truck drivers, and they would you yes. know uh, go across the whole country and uh, dump a victim you know ten states away from where they started out. So it made it very difficult. Right, which I was going to get to ask you because I had heard about that as well, that they suspected that, and all, obviously not all, but that some of these were, um, especially I think when if they ever were able to identify the victim and they would find that this person was discovered really, really, really far away from what where they originally lived at. So the conclusion was that at some point, you know, there was some that were using the... the being a trucker as a good way to uh, take that exactly like what you said at the beginning, you know, sometimes you go over a couple of counties. Well, what happens when you go to another state and you pick up the person in one state, but you actually dump their bodies a few states over. Exactly. So it's to me, it's like, okay, besides the obvious of not wanting to know or get, some type of justice for the victim it's like okay so who did this to this person and what i said it you know contrary to the csi programs not everything ends up being tied up in a neat bow where you know victims get identified and they get justice and the killer the perpetrator is arrested it's very sad to think of that but it's it's a reality out there that's why i think that that work of some of these people that are on um, on these different sites, like what you were saying, that do it for no charge, basically expending their own time. It's invaluable. Right. It's invaluable. And, uh, you know, the... And sometimes it's... it's uh, and I think also that, especially to me... And I think to most people is also when you're talking about children that have gone missing or teenagers, because as far as I'm concerned, even though a lot of people don't think about it, but, you know, children are considered children until they're 18 years old and even younger. You know, you get a lot of children that sometimes go missing. And um, I know that sometimes they're they're also part of these databases, I imagine. Right. Yes, actually, children have a, um, a a more specific group that looks out for them uh, called, uh, I think, NECMEC is the um, the shortening. It's the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Oh, okay, yes, so, I've heard uh, of them. They, they concentrate uh, specifically on missing children. Right. Yeah, because I know in that case, I know sometimes they look at, you know, parental abductions, you know, things of that nature and... I hate to say it, some parents do that. They take their kids and they kind of disappear and they you have no idea what 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 happened to them. Uh it's it's a very Exactly. Yeah, it's it's um it's a very um I did um one time I I, I visited Kentucky back in uh in October of last year and I went to the surrounding areas. And right outside of Lexington, there's a there's a town called Georgetown, and I went and I visited a cemetery there. Because it was one of these older cemeteries pre Civil War. Later on, I found out I didn't realize it when I was there that it had a mystery attached along those lines, which was this girl that they eventually they identified her, but she was known as Tent Girl. 
And I was, I could kick myself because when I was there, I didn't know about it. And it's along the same lines. She was, um, I, I think it was in the 60s, they found her body dumped along the highway that was there in that area. And she got that name because she had been wrapped in a piece of canvas when they found her. And she, eventually the people, you know, the town, they buried her and they used, they just called her tent girl. They, you know, they paid for the burial and the headstone. And like you said, every few years, I think they would do a story about the circumstances of her being found and just hoping that at some point somebody could come forward. And I can't remember right now. I know. I, what am I talking about? I believe it was somebody from one of these, um, from one of these yes, sites. Yes, actually, I, I go into a lot of detail oh, in Tent Girl. I, I do, oh, okay. yes, I tell the entire story and uh, and uh, tell the story, the fascinating story of yes. the young man who got obsessed with her uh, case and did eventually oh, solve know. it. If there's anything else I can do for you. Absolutely. Um, Deborah. thank you so much. It has been wonderful to have you. And I've got a link to your website on the credits of the show but if you want to go ahead and give out your website for any of the podcast listeners so if they want to yes, they can you visit can, your website uh, find everything about me at www.deborahhalber.com d-e-b-o-r-a-h-h-a-l-b-e-r so thank you so much for having me it's been a really fascinating conversation likewise take care bye bye okay take care so guys what did you think? Really interesting, huh? Well, you know what? A lot of people don't realize what she mentioned, just how many people are out there or remains that are unidentified. Um, in other words, you've got a list of, you know, missing persons report that go into all these different police departments. Now, luckily with the internet, and I'm not going to say all the times, you know, they're able to cross-reference other jurisdictions or other parts of the country. As far as if you know where to look, you've got missing persons report, and then on the other side you have a bunch of unidentified remains. And not all of them are murder victims. Some of them are like what I said, that, that girl, that she got killed on the I-4. As a matter of fact, I did a show on her, part of the show, which was about, you know, the, the remains that end up in the pauper's graves. You know, how the medical examiners, um, they have their own cemetery to basically, after a while, they, they I know there's a certain amount of time that they wait, hoping that they're going to find somebody that knows this person. For example, that girl, it was obvious how she got killed. She was running across I-4, Interstate 4. This is a super busy highway here in Florida. She got killed by an automobile. She had no identification. There was nothing on her person to kind of even point them. Later on, years, 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 years later, obviously they buried her, okay? But they had taken a sketch of her face because, of course, when they received her, she was recently deceased, which helps a lot. They sketched her, and they put it, I guess, on some type of database or something. Many years later, a friend of hers, like, she was killed. She looked to be like a teenager. A girlfriend of hers, 
I want to say 20 something years decides I'm going to find out what happened to so and so and I guess she couldn't find her and she who knows maybe she kind of suspected something along those lines ends up coming across this sketch of her and guess what that's how they found her because of this friend who is now obviously an adult looking for a, an old friend of hers when she was a kid, when she was a teenager, sees a sketch and says, man, that looks like so-and-so a lot. Turns out she contacted the police departments, you know, like she said, you contact one and then the other and then the other. And before you know it, you know, everybody kind of connects. And uh, it turns out that this girl was originally from Wyoming. Okay, she was 17 years old. Can't remember her name right now. Drawing a blank, sorry. But anyway, she ends up marrying. She, apparently, she came from a very she had broken home, dysfunctional family lifestyle. Ends up marrying a 40-something-year-old guy. Abusive. So, she runs away from home. She runs over home to Florida. She's like, I'm leaving town. She leaves Wyoming. Comes down to Florida. Uh, I think she had hooked up with an older guy again at some motel. Again, unfortunate. But she ends up getting killed. Now, as far as I know, I might be wrong. As far as I know, her family of origin never put out a missing persons report for her. So, of course, down here in Florida, you have this young girl. Nobody comes identify her. They can't match her to any missing persons report. They bury her. Luckily, her friend, you know, many, many, and many years later. And I guess my point is not everybody is a, a, a murder victim, you know, or like that lady that, that, you know, that they find. Some people, they know exactly how they died. They just don't know who they are. And part of that is, in some cases, you know, people sometimes have family members, whether it's a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a child who just decides that they want to do really risky stuff. You know, it could be a host of things. They could have addiction problems, mental illness. It could be anything. And they still have a family that loves them, but they just don't know how to handle them. And then this person, of course, comes and goes, and the family up to a while is like, okay, if I don't hear from this person for a month, two months, but they'll show up, they pop up. But one day they stopped coming around. They disappear. And even if that family always wonders, sometimes they put out a missing persons report. But like she said, if this happened to God in another state, sometimes you don't even have to even go that far. If they ever, something happens to that person, whether they were killed accidentally or murdered or whatever. Yeah, just to be able to, and I'm, I hate that word closure, but just to bring resolution to that family. Let them know, you know what, this person, this is what happened to them, this is where they are. You know, some families, it breaks their heart, but, you know, sometimes they just cannot control certain family members from doing things that they're thinking any, you know, sometimes you, you'll speak to some of these family members and they'll tell you, you know, I that was one of my biggest fears I always had with this person that something was going to happen to them. And I think that despite the fairy tale that they're hoping for, that not knowing, I think that in the end, 
part of them wants to know what happened to them and where are they or let's bring them home. I mean, whatever the case might be, it could be a number of things. Uh, and what that work that people do uh, on these websites, like I said, for no charge, sometimes it's really slow. And if it's a really, really old case, sometimes the evidence is minimal, you know, or in some cases, if they found only skeletal remains, let's face it, you don't have fingerprints, there's no skin, um, and look at the case that Deborah described. Even if the person, if their teeth are there, even if they've had dental work, because I have heard that sometimes they can even, uh, if they can match it up, like the dentist, a certain dentist, you know, it kind of leads them back to their patient records, who that person was. And even then, that's no guarantee, you know. Now, I have heard, for example, there was another case I want to say, I can't remember. This happened in Central Florida. Same same thing. They discovered a girl. She was dumped, uh, I want to say, like into either a lake or a canal. Bottom line, they recognize her dental work as having been done in another country. I mean, it kind of points to another country, as in, again, this person, from what I understand, has never been identified. But sometimes dental work helps in that direction as well. But again, even then, that is no guarantee that you're going to find who this person is. It's very painstaking. And what I like to point out, and what I talked to Deborah about, that's kind of scary because somebody had to have killed these people if you take out the ones that were killed in accidents who killed these people and of do you think everybody has been found i don't think so i can tell you right now just just in south florida alone like i was saying that us 41 alligator alley that i got this uh this this reputation for being body dump central let me tell you something out there between the heat, the insects, the, the, the climate all year round. Okay. It doesn't take long for a body to disintegrate. If you dump it out in the Everglades, you've got water, humidity, bugs, alligators. Okay. Who will dispose of your evidence as in the body. And it's like, yeah, I guess my point is for all the bodies that are discovered. There's a lot more that I'm sure have never, ever been discovered. Either one, there's nothing to discover anymore. Whatever was gained is just totally gone. Okay, or two, they're in some place for some reason that somebody never looks. It's never going to come across. And the question is, who were the perpetrators of all these crimes? And, you know, like I was saying, this is not CSI. We, unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world where the people that do the bad things always get snagged. Even though like this one that they did now, the Long Island, um, that Long Island original, the, I'm sorry, the Golden State Killer, I'm thinking of something else, the Golden State Killer, the, the, the original Night Strangler, you know, he just got apprehended after committing these horrible crimes in the 70s and 80s. And I mean, this guy, he was, a ro he committed robberies, raped, murder, they guess at some point he was even going into the homes in other words he was observing his victims to the point that he was going into houses before committing the crime and setting everything up for him to be able to gain entry and leave they finally caught him but again i'm very glad he got caught but there's a lot of them like that Psych uh, psychopaths 
whatever sadists that never get caught. Now, I know that's a horrible thought and, you know, us normal people <laughs> always, we want, we want what we see in, in the movies or in the program that eventually that person gets their just desserts. Um, but that doesn't always happen. And I guess my advice to anybody is don't try to be a victim. You know, whether it's because who you're surrounding yourself with or where you go, what you do. Or sometimes it just comes down to being self-aware of where are you, what's going on around you. Because you know what? There's a lot of these killers, which basically they prey on people based on opportunity. You know, everybody thinks of, you know, like, let's say the serial killers, have they have certain types. Sometimes, but there's, if you're one of these sadists who all they want to do is just kill, snuff out a human being. Sometimes they just go on the spur of the moment when the opportunity presents itself. So in other words, don't make yourself a target. Don't make it easy for somebody to victimize you. And by the way, not only women and men as well. Men get killed also. Men can get have a lot of horrible things done to them. It's I'm not saying necessarily women also. You know, women only. But anyway, guys, I hope you like this show. Go ahead, subscribe to the channel. Make sure you get notified of any new shows that I release. Uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. My true believers, make sure to send me your stories at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Submit your story tab. Okay, and I've got a lot of fantastic guests coming on. I really enjoyed spending this time with you, and I look forward to our next show together. Take care. With MailChimp, you get more than a URL. You get an all-in-one marketing platform to help drive sales. With things like data-driven recommendations and powerful automation tools. Get started today at MailChimp.com slash smart marketing. MailChimp, built for growing businesses. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks.